and welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin each week the best way that we know how, and that is by talking Indiana and Big Ten basketball. A couple of quick housekeeping notes here right off the top. Remember, our next show is going to be Thursday night, IU versus Purdue. Uh, it's going to be the post-game show. That game is a 7 o'clock Eastern tip on FS1. So since it's Thursday night, the post-game show and Assembly Call Radio will all be one uh, this week. If you need tickets, remember to use the URL iutickets.shop to go directly to the IU listing on SeatGeek, and then you can use that promo code ASSEMBLY to get $10 off your first purchase. And of course, if you want any Indiana gear and you want the most comfortable and unique IU gear anywhere, go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 to get 20% off of all of your gear uh, there at homefieldapparel.com. All right, and now... I am pleased to welcome in from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and Fox. He's one of the hardest working men in college basketball, the venerable Mike DeCourcy. And Mike, the Hoosiers won two games this week. Everyone's excited again. So nothing funny here off the top. Let's jump right into the basketball talk. What did you learn about Indiana this week? Well, I, I think we we were reminded what they're capable of doing when they do the, the things that are correct. And that starts with throwing the ball to the guy with the most talent. And that would be Trace Jackson Davis. You put him in positions to score in and around the lane and the defense is in trouble. And we saw that lots of occasions and the Arkansas game would be an example of that. The first half got access to the ball a lot. Second half, almost none. You saw what happened in the results. The Minnesota game Got the ball a lot in the first half, got the ball a lot, maybe even more in the second half. I don't know how it statistically broke down, but he made some huge buckets in the second half. And the Penn State game, that unbelievable post-up that he had where he was matched against Lamar Stevens, and he did the spin move on Lamar. Lamar's a, a high-level college defender. That is not easy to do. And he left him, he left him behind and then dunked it. Uh, with with a defensive help coming across, had no chance. He showed you what he's capable of doing. We saw that they can close a game, although, again, they made uh, some mistakes at the end of Penn State. I was not one who thought that Armand Franklin's, excuse me, uh, Al Durham's decision to pass the basketball, I think it was to race Thompson on the two-on-one. Yep. I did not think that was a bad decision. I know some people just pull it out. I don't have a problem with that either. If you decide to pull it out, but if you want to go ahead and put the two points on the board, you do it, but you don't make a difficult pass there. Yeah, It has to be an easy pass. It has to be something on, uh, akin to me handing the ball to you. I mean, not literally, but something that, that guaranteed to be completed. And that was a mistake. And Al's got to be better. At end of games, you remember the uh, the the shot he took against Maryland near the four minute mark, and now this. He's he's too important at the end of games because he's going to have the basketball. He's going to be in most of the time at the end, so he's got to do better than that. But even with that episode, you still saw a team really confident down the stretch, making the smart plays, getting stops, and my goodness, I don't think you can say enough about. Justin Smith, that you in the Big Ten and beyond, which we did Sunday, we don't usually have what we call breakdown tapes where we feature a particular component of the game or a particular player, an aspect. And so we had a little bit of a breakdown 
on Justin within the highlight. And I, and I tried to accentuate how important he was in that, in those final three minutes or so. He was fantastic. I mean, the, the help where he stole the basketball, the offensive rebound he chased down. I think he had a, a, a tough uh, finish in there as well on offense. It, it, it was spectacular. And if it had been a Saturday game and I were doing the studio, I would have, I would have had that. It would have been more protracted and more discussed. And he would have gotten a brighter spotlight shined on him because he, he it warranted that. He was so good in those final three minutes. And honestly, if Justin plays like that all the time, and I don't mean he's got to play that way for 40 minutes, every, but if that is the definition of who he is as a player for Indiana going forward, it changes who they are as a team. They're just so much better. Absolutely. I thought that stretch of basketball might have been the best the best four or five minutes of his career. I mean, I thought he was that good. Yeah, you know, in some way, I, I remember the Michigan State game last year, and he's making threes and all that, and he was very good at the other end too. But this was this was a defining thing here. Yeah. It, it, this wasn't just, oh, he got hot and he started dropping shots, and that's nice, and the more of that you can have, the better. But this was a kid who's a very good player taking over the game in the ways that the best players take over games. And it's not just – it's not just about making baskets. It's also about making plays. And those final three minutes were a masterpiece, and he deserves all the credit for that. You mentioned off the top Trace Jackson Davis, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I thought that was the story of the week after really disappearing against Michigan. You know, giving Indiana a guy to play through consistently for two straight games was phenomenal. Is the Big Ten Freshman of the Year race locked up for him, or do you think that there's still some significant challengers out there? Well, you know, I'm trying to think of who else there would be. Uh, Coburn, I guess, from Illinois. Kofi would be the one. And and I think he's having a terrific year. I think he's having a very strong year. And But, I, you know, I, I, I would say that probably you would have to wait till we get closer to the end, given how good Kofi has been. Uh, they're both great. And Kofi has changed Illinois' team. Yeah, it, he really has. He's made it. He's he's made a complete. He's he's turned that team completely 180 degrees from a press and run and try to get you to turn it over team to a team that's elite in half court defense. And although I'm not sure that we would describe Kofi yet as an elite half court defender, he is a game changer. He's a, he's a he's a rim protector in, in that way. So I, I think that they both have uh, really strong cases, and I would be willing to wait to see how these final weeks play out because you know how this league is that uh, even after the two game winning streak and, and, and how well Indiana played in those games, they have to continue to play that well. And they have to continue to take advantage of him to that degree. And to, and, and if they do that, then, then he's going to have a tremendous case. Uh, but uh, if they, if they start to ignore him again, uh, then, and Kofi perhaps has, a tremendous last couple of weeks, it might change that result. You know, one topic that a lot of Indiana fans have discussed is the starting lineup, both the beginning of the game and the second half, which has not changed. Uh, but certainly, you know, in recent games, Joey Bronk has essentially been starting, playing a couple minutes, coming out, and then you're seeing a lot more Race Thompson, obviously, more Deron Davis. What would you do with the lineup? Would you keep that the same? Um, would you differentiate between the start of the game and the second half? Because it did feel like in the Penn State game, 
the way that they came out, you know, they kind of isolated Lamar Stevens on Joey Brunk. It really seemed to hurt Indiana's momentum. Would you it did. Would, would you make a change there if you were Archie Miller? You know, I'm a believer. When when I hear coaches say, and I don't know that Arch has said this, but I've heard a ton, and we all have. Uh, when I hear coaches say that it doesn't matter who starts, it's a complete crock. It, everybody has now some idea of how things break down uh, with synergy, with in-house analytics. You know that certain lineups play well together and those sorts of things. But the way I look at, and, I, and I've never quite been able to put a handle on why coaches do this, but if, if a coach in, in, in 99.9% of cases, exclusive of perhaps foul trouble or injury, and on the rarest of occasion performance, coaches start the same group in the first half and the second half. They start in the first half, they walk out after halftime, they're on the floor. And that's the way it is on, in every program in America. And on very rare occasions do you see a shift. And so when I hear a coach say it doesn't matter who starts, you're telling me that basically a quarter of the game, 10 minutes, five minutes, five minutes, because they usually play together at least five minutes roughly for those before somebody gets subbed out. So that's 10 minutes of a 40 minute game, a quarter of the game where you're playing this group together. So you're telling me that doesn't matter, like how well they play together and how well they fit together. And, and whether they're your five best guys or whether they're your five, their best five man unit doesn't matter. Come on. That's nonsense. That's complete garbage. They, they, they're, they're the one group that you can almost be certain will play together for a significant period of time because then fatigue, injury, mat, bad matchup in guy can't stop the other guy, uh, whatever it might be, guy can't make a shot. And so you say, this just isn't his day. Whatever it might be, you are going to change up a little bit once you start rotating players. But those five guys are going to play together for 10 minutes out of 40. So they better fit together. They better be the best for that 40. I, I, don't, think, I, I don't think you put Joey back out there out of habit just because that's the way you always do it when the other team's got Lamar Stevens out there just dying to get you switched on ball screens and ready to take you apart. That's not the way it should be done, and that really hurt them. So if you want to start Joey at the beginning of the game because you think it, it fits the opponent, great. If you want to start him at the beginning of the game because you think that that's, that that's going to create the best rhythm for you early, great. But if you get into a situation where you see how the other team sets up, and of course, Penn State going in, you knew somebody was going to have to guard Lamar uh, because they, they play a big, one big, either – John Hare at the start or Mike Watkins off the bench, and then they play Lamar with him. And so one of your guys is going to have to be able to guard him. And I don't think that you wanted to put Trace in that matchup because he's a freshman going against the senior and you'd rather he don't foul. And Joey can't guard him. So I don't know what the expectation would be. there. Once you establish that early, uh, that it's not a great matchup for you or, or in scouting report, you can change. You can say, you know what, for this game, it doesn't work. I mean, I, I talked to some people at Wisconsin uh, when after they started Micah Potter and, and uh, Nate Reavers for the first time, and then they were going into another game, I can't remember who it was against, uh, that doesn't play, uh, it doesn't play a real power forward. might have been Rutgers. I'm not sure if it was or not, but could, they'd be an example. 
doesn't play a real power forward. So you don't play Micah Potter and Nate Reavers together. There's nobody for Mike at a guard or, or Nate, whichever one you want to pick. Yeah. And so you have to play a lean forward and then you fit better. And there's not very many derivations or iterations of college basketball now where being bigger is a huge advantage. The three-point line has changed that. Ball screens have changed that. Having twin towers, boy, if you do, they better the one one of them had better have electric quickness and a and a skill set to play away from the goal. And I don't think that that's the case with Indiana. Uh, I think Trace has that the first quality, but you're not going to guard him at 18 feet because he's not a shooter. So you sag back in the zone or in a zone or in, in the lane, and you jam up anything Indiana wants to do, and it becomes problematic. If if you are a team that plays uh, a a a dynamic three man hybrid like Lamar or like Ron Harper Jr. or if you are a team that 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 sets up in, you know with four guards around one or something like that then you you have you have an advantage over Indiana now that's not like that. Joey's been able to start against a lot of teams and not get really and not not have real problems because not everybody has a Lamar Stevens or a Ron Harper Jr. but there when you do face that team then you want to make sure that you try to accommodate what's best for you against that team. Yeah, and it, you know, I don't think any Indiana fans enjoy this conversation because Joey Brunk has really endeared himself to the fan base. He basically, when this thing was being held together with duct tape in December, he was the duct tape. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was a <laughs> he was a really good player there for a while. It's just it's not happening right now, so it'll be interesting. And, to hey, see. let me say, I, I, I'm not I'm not ruling out the possibility that he gets it going again. Sure, yeah, excellent player on offense around the goal. And and he can he can definitely hurt a defense and he can you know and he'll and he'll battle. Uh, he is not a great defender. I don't think I'm breaking any news there, but he will battle. And so I'm not saying write him off. Please no. don't anybody think that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that when you get yourself in a matchup like I just described, then you have to you have to watch how you play in that. And I don't know whether Purdue can't say whether that's a that's a that's a threat for them i'm not sure i i i wouldn't necessarily say it's it's quite the same it's certainly not the same as having lamar uh, one of the best players in the league but that's you know those are the concerns that you have to accommodate as you go through a conference where it, you know one bad possession two bad possessions could cost you a game so looking ahead for Indiana, the Hoosiers face Purdue and Illinois this week, both on the road. Those two teams have combined to lose eight of their last nine games, although Illinois plays Northwestern and Nebraska uh, before they play Indiana, so they will probably have a little winning streak going. Do you think Indiana gets one of these games? And if so, which one do you think is more likely? They're tough. They're both tough. Purdue has been vulnerable finally at home. Uh, they had not, you know, they had not been beatable at all at Mackey. And, and finally some teams have started to break through there, but it's up to you to force that on them. They're not going to hand it to you. Uh, Sasha Stefanovic had a rough shooting day over the weekend. And I think that came from him being really ardently defended. And so you're not, if you just think that's going to happen. I mean, I remember still, we talked about that ball screen. Or, I mean, excuse me, that baseline screen that started the second half around the 17 or 18 minute mark where he wasn't defended and, and how all of a sudden he's a road shooter when he hadn't been all year. So if you dare him 
to get going again. He will. He has not played his best basketball in the last couple games, but it, it the light flicks when the light comes on for him, it's a glaring spotlight. I mean, so you if you let it happen, it'll happen. You have to battle them. You have to battle Travion Williams uh, with everything you have because he is he is still going at it and and they have not played they have not played really well in a lot of areas recently as you mentioned in a lot of leagues they could probably get away with some of the efforts that they've delivered they haven't been bad they just haven't been good and in this league if you're not good you lose and and, and you know unless you're playing Nebraska or Northwestern at home if you if you're not on top of your game you lose it's that simple there, there has been basically no exception to that. If you aren't good, at least, you know, your version of good, and since everybody in this league is version of good is pretty good, if you're not that, you're losing. So you have to go into both of those games with a, with a, with a B-plus effort at minimum, and it may take more than that. Certainly the kind of effort that you delivered on the road at Minnesota, especially in the second half, at home against Penn State for all but the first eight minutes of the second half, that's the kind of performance that's going to win you one of those games, if not both. So let's look at the conference. We know Maryland is number one, and then there are five teams tied with six losses, Michigan State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois. Uh, and then you've got Michigan, Ohio State, two you know very hot teams that are high in the predictive rankings that aren't even in there. How are you power ranking the conference right now after Maryland? I assume they're number one. Yeah, Maryland would be one, and Penn State would be two. Uh, I Wait, think Penn State would be two? That's st- they're still on my four line. Oh, okay. That's surprising to you? It was to me that just because they've lost a couple games in a row, but they Myron Jones has also been out. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 they, they still have played to my four line. I, I don't think that uh, you know. I, 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 again, I'm going when I do this. I'm looking at the full body of work. And I still have 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 them as a four. It's also easy to forget all the big road games that they just won too. So yeah, uh, I would put Iowa next. I still have them as a four as well. Uh, they have played, you know, they've played better lately. Uh, they still have. Um, they're still one of the teams that's more more heavily weighted toward home than road, in this league. And there are a lot of those that uh, have had that issue. But I would I would put them next. And then I think the team that I, that I would put in the next slot would be Michigan, uh, because if you look at them as a when they are a whole team, they are now twelve and three when Isaiah Livers finishes the game. I use that as a descriptor because that basically means he didn't get hurt in the middle of it. I mean, you give him another win and another loss if you want to say he played, like because he played three minutes against Presbyterian and they won. They were going to win if he played three, six, nine or 35, they were going to win that game. And then the other one was the Illinois game that they lost uh, when he got hurt, when it was still competitive. So yeah. I, I look at the what they are when he finishes, 12-3, and three, that's that's one of the better records in the country if you project it out. If you project it to, you know, you're 24-6, and six, that's, you know, that's flirting with 2-3 seed territory. And, they, and they've beaten high-quality teams as a whole unit. And honestly, much to the detriment of those they play now, while Isaiah was out, they developed other players to, to fill his roles. You saw Brandon Johns get a, a little better. 
Uh, I think he's still got a, another step or two to become the contributor they'd like him to be this year. You saw Austin Davis become a real, a, a, a real asset off the bench. Competes hard, uh, goes at it every, and he's got he's got really good hands. And you know he's not the most elite post player, but he finishes when he gets an advantage. And and then you've seen Franz Wagner, who had to take a lot of the offensive responsibility that Isaiah was carrying. And, and he has become a much better player as a freshman. That's another player to look at. I, I don't know that he'd be all, a freshman yeah. year, but another player who's an all-freshman caliber player uh, who's made significant improvements in Isaiah's absence. So you have all those improvements they've made. I still think they're one of the most dangerous teams in the league. And I think Jawan is doing a really nice job of, of, all, of dealing with those guys, of having to deal with, with Isaiah going down so many times. Uh, the Rutgers win on the road without him was really impressive. One of the better wins in the league this year. Yeah. So I would say that uh, Michigan would be in that quartet for sure. One guy that we didn't talk about a ton when we were discussing Indiana is Race Thompson. But he's really a guy who has emerged, uh, has become a really important part of what Indiana is doing. I'd love to get your thoughts on Race, but also just as you look around the conference – who are some other guys like that that have kind of emerged that weren't maybe playing much early in the year that now have really assumed a much bigger role? Not superstars, but they're, they've really become a key part of what their teams are doing. Well, I start, stole some of my own thunder with Austin Davis, who, yeah. who would certainly fit that uh, description. I think Alejandro Demir has become a much better player over the course of the season for Minnesota, is, has, has begun to understand, uh, or has come to understand, I should say, would be better description uh, of what it takes to play in the big 10 as opposed to playing in the colonial when he was at Drexel. Uh, I think he would certainly uh, fit that. Uh, and I think uh, Connor McCaffrey at, at Iowa has, has fit that uh, a guy who, who a lot of people at one time thought was a non-shooter, just a passer. He's an excellent passer, one of the better passers in the league, uh, but he's also come to be able to make uh, the occasional three-point shot. His percentage isn't super duper. I think it's around 33, 34. But he has a he has a knack for making the shot at the time that Iowa needs it, and so he would be one that I would certainly put in that group as well. Uh, and so, and, and I, I think you know Dante Scott is not not necessarily from off the bench, but Dante Scott at Maryland, a guy who who started basically because he was. You know, he was the the closest thing that they had to a power forward who was ready to play. Uh, the Twins weren't ready to play. He was. He got the job. He was not a great player, but now he's making he's making threes. He battles. He's physical. He gives a lot of protection, physical protection to Jalen Smith. That one wondered if it was going there was going to be any protection at all because the guy standing next to him was a freshman. Question doesn't exist now. So I would certainly say that he fits that category. It, it, when you get getting back to race, I, I think that his emergence has been a, a real asset for for the the Hoosiers because it allows them to play a lot of different ways. Uh, they can they can play a little smaller than they have for a lot of the year when they put him in. Usually, when they have when they when they have taken out Joey, they've gone to Duran and uh, and they've fairly rarely. Uh, gone to a smaller group and and race is not small but he's not a center so it gives them a little bit more defensive flexibility when he plays a really good finisher uh, has done a really nice job uh, again 
not not a guy who's going to disarm you in the post as an offensive player, but who, if he's singled up, can get an advantage and finish the play and 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 has a lot of different ways to do that. Uh, and so I, I think he's he's really been an asset and somebody that who's whose emergence has made Indiana significantly better. I do. I want to ask you about Maryland real quick, because looking at the schedules, you know, they obviously have a two game lead. So they're the prohibitive favorite to win the conference. But they've got two road games coming up against Minnesota and Rutgers. Both teams are going to be desperate because they really need wins. And then their two home games, Michigan State and Michigan, you know, are two teams who could beat them at home. I mean, that's a tough way to close out. Do you see them winning enough to to maintain their lead in the conference or do you see them coming back to the pack? I think they will because they basically have to just about lose them all to not keep their lead. Because yeah. remember, in order for somebody to catch them, somebody else would have to, if they went two and two, somebody else would have to go four and oh. Yeah. And who's doing that? I mean, it's, it's not easy to do uh, in, in the big, in this year's big 10. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's, you know, if it's, it's more likely that Maryland will win the conference, but you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, Harold Shelton, our, our terrific researcher at BTN uh, noticed that, that there is a, there is a way that in which we actually could have a seven-way tie, and that would entail. That would Maryland. be awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? You know, I still remember when uh, 2011 we were we were preparing for Big Ten and beyond. Uh, that was one of our first years doing it. I think it was the first year doing it. And so we're preparing for the show, and that was when Michigan. I can't remember who they played, but they played a game in the early afternoon. And then they bust home or flew home or whatever. And, and they were at their facility and then they were watching Michigan state play Ohio state. And if Ohio state won, there would be a three-way tie. And William Buford hits a, a, a wing jumper, a three pointer to win the game for Michigan state. Assuming win, win the game for Ohio state. So there's Michigan cheering. An Ohio State triumph. <laughs> All three of them got it, that was that was the best moment. So I'm picturing like I think the last game I can't remember who Illinois plays somebody in the last game, and I'm picturing somebody hitting a shot and like five different, you know, five different locker rooms going crazy because they're all watching the game together and and they're all set. You know, it's seven way tie. That it, it would just be incredible. It's yeah, Illinois Iowa. I think is the last Illinois game Iowa. of the season. Boy, that would wouldn't that just be a fitting way to. <laughs> to end this uh what what games are you keeping an eye on this week yeah this week huge week for the spartans their chance to become the team that people imagine them to be they have iowa and at maryland it's a real statement week for them and i still think they're good enough to do that but they've struggled to find their their identity honestly uh, they know that cassius is great they know that xavier tillman is is a warrior, but they haven't been able to come up with the right combination around them. So this is a heck of a week to try. And then uh, Sunday, I, I believe there's a rivalry between these two schools, Michigan, Ohio State. You've heard that rumor, haven't I you? I think so, yes. <laughs> yes, so that'll be a heck of a game there. That'll be a, a, a real blast. Uh, and obviously two of the hottest teams. That, I, and I shouldn't say that. I, forgive me. I hate the hot word hot. Hot is an excuse to not say they're better. You know, oh, they're hot. No, they're better. They're both better. Now, whether Ohio State can stay better now that Kyle Young is hurt, he's out 
I don't know whether he plays Sunday, but he's out with a high ankle sprain. A high ankle sprain is typically a multi-week injury. So I don't know whether he plays on Sunday, and I don't know what that does to them. Certainly they have a very capable uh, young man in EJ Liddell to take a lot of the minutes, but it definitely changes who they are as a team. And I think they might go to Andre Wesson, but then they're then now they're reshifting that multiple positions. And so it really does change who they are as a team, but Michigan's just better. I mean, and I, and I mean, I don't mean better than they were in November or December. I mean, they were, they're, they're basically that team only with a season's worth of experience now. And that team was one of the 10, 15 best teams in the country. And I think they are that again. Last question for you. This is your first year as a published bracketologist, right? Putting brackets out there? Year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I never, you know, in the past, the closest I came was back in the old days before, uh, before there was real bracketology. I would sit, at, you know, at a McDonald's or a Denny's or something with USA Today with the league standings, and I would check off who I thought was a tournament team. That's about as close as now. However, I am, along with Jerry Palm, a four-time veteran of the. Uh, NCAA uh, mock selection process. Aha, okay. Come to this with no experience. I, uh, I, you know, I, I, I went through it four times. I, first year was just the most amazing thing. I, it, it was, it was a revelation. Uh, I would say it was like seeing the Dead Sea Scrolls or something. You, know, <laughs> you could see behind the door what they actually do. And I, I, I mean. I, I don't know whether everybody else was geeking out like I was, but my jaw was dropped the whole time. So that's how they do it. So, uh, so I did that. And, and then I came back several more times uh, for different projects that I was working on. So I, I know how they do it. They, they change the rules every now and then make it tough uh, to keep up. But uh, I think I've got the rules down now. And, and so um, we, you know, I, 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 have a pretty good grip on it. And I've looked at my bracket compared to the two most prominent guys that have done it. And, you know, and honestly, when I see it, I don't see, gee, where am I wrong? I see, I see, when I see a, a seed that's out of line, I'm like, what are those guys thinking? How could they have that team up there? So I, I feel pretty confident in my abilities. Does it, is it the question I had for you about it was, is it changing at all your experience of watching college basketball? Because, it's like it seems like when you get into bracketology, it's easy to start seeing teams as resumes instead of teams. Like, do you find yourself doing that at all? Having trouble separating that at all? You know, when I see it, when I see it, when if I'm watching a game, you know, one of my first thoughts, especially for a team that's on the edge, uh, on the bubble, one of my first thoughts is, okay, that's it, you're done, or you're out. No, <laughs> you're out of my bracket. That, that that I do. But when I watch, I still watch as a, I still watch as a as a. Uh, as a follower of the game, as a analyst of the game, uh, as a journalist, uh, and you know the bracket thing, it, you know, it, in my like I said, in my mind, I still think that way. Uh, and I, but sometimes I say that about a team, and they end up back in anyway. Like after Cincinnati lost to UCF, I thought there's no way they're in my bracket this week. And then they went and beat Wichita, and some other teams did some not so good stuff. Mississippi State lost to Texas A&M. Okay, you're still in. You're hanging on, but you're still in. So uh, that's that's the only way that it affects the way I watch a game. It, you know, a lot of people who get into this business, um, you know, and, and I, I think I fell victim to this in my 20s. But ultimately, I, if you don't enjoy the games, it's really it's it, there's there's better ways to make a living. I mean, it, it, this is 
the bet this is the best way to make a living if you enjoy the games to me but if not there's probably more money out there for you you know uh, counting you know being an accountant or something my brother my brother made a lot of money being an accountant yeah uh, so i you know but i love the games i love watching i love picking it apart i love talking to players and coaches and 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 i love interacting with fans uh, it, it's it's still something that i really love so uh, like I said, it's the best way to make a living if you're in that headspace, and and, that, and that's that has not changed for me for 30 years. We've gone long, and I don't want to be greedy with your time. Do you have time for one more question? We got a, a sure, list. We got sure. a listener Let me question. Give you a shorter answer, but yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this is from Chad. He said, as tournament talk is heating up across the country, we're hearing a lot of people questioning the hype behind the Big Ten. How would you respond to that? Yeah, that's such nonsense. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you look at Ken Palm, it's funny how people like all of us, like like five years ago, like everybody was into Ken Palm and, and his ratings. And then all of a sudden you have a year like this and oh, now oh, he can't, you know, that, those ratings can't be right. Well, except that the net basically says the same thing. And I don't, I haven't checked Sagarin, but I bet they say mostly the same thing. It, it you know, it, it, it I've, I've seen c- complaints about how the Big Ten seems to have figured out a way to game it. Well, it's impossible to figure out a way to game it when nobody knows what's in it. Nobody knows what the net rankings are. I mean, you know what, the, you have a rough idea of the components. Uh, efficiency is a factor. Uh, performance is a factor. Uh, the, the schedule, obviously, is a factor. So there's lots in it. But no one knows the formula except the NCAA. So you can't game it if you don't know the number. You can't. So, so it's silly to say that's what's going on. And look, I'm not saying – I am not – and when I've said and – and I've said this in print and I've said this on the air multiple times, there has never been a league like this ever in the history of college basketball. And when I say that, people think – people scream – like literally like screaming at me on Twitter. 85 Big East, uh, 2011 Big East. 85 Big East got three teams in the Final Four. They were the, they, they was the strongest league at the top ever and probably ever will be. You'll probably never see that again. 11 Big East, most teams ever got into the tournament. I don't think the Big Ten is going to get there, although they only, have, uh, they only have 14 members compared to 16. Eight, 91 Big East. Seven out of nine, the highest percentage ever. But the difference between the, the 91 Big East and this is that 91 Big East was nine teams. Okay, so they played double round robin. That means they played, each team played 16 league games. Okay, so that meant you had 14, 15 games to play with. And you could play as hard or as easy as you wanted. Now, Villanova played a really hard schedule that year, so they got in at 16 and 14. You know, other people played normal schedules, which meant, I don't know, made three, four games that are tough and a bunch of bye games or whatever. But there's nowhere to hide in this league. There are 20 league games. If you were lucky, you got three against Northwestern and Nebraska. Every other league game was a grind, a nightmare. And that's what's different about this league. It, 20 league games out of basically the same number. Maybe there's a one or two more you play now than in 91, but basically the same rough number. And you're playing 20 of them in the league, plus most of the teams played an ACC Big Ten game. And a lot of them played a Gavit games. So that, those were guaranteed high-quality games as well. So you really got put through the grinder in this league. And, that, and so anybody that doesn't want to appreciate that is simply just denying reality. 
I am not saying that anybody in this league is going to win the championship. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Because this is a pretty open deal. But and and, and I'm not saying as well because I don't know what the seeds are going to be, how it's going to play out. I'm not saying as well that there will be a truckload of teams in the Sweet 16. We don't know. I mean, in 2011, the Big East, I think there was, I know there was one occasion, there might have been two, where they eliminated each other. They couldn't get to the Sweet 16 because they had to play each other. And that may happen here. Who knows? But I'm telling you that 12 teams in this league play high-quality basketball. Daniel Oturu would be the best player on 90% of the teams in America. He'd be the best player on 75% of the teams in the Big Ten. And he's on a team that's 500 because the league. And also because, you know, they haven't done some things that they could have done. But mostly it's the league. If they were in the if they were in the ACC, they're not beating Duke Florida State. I mean, they might have beat it, but they weren't finishing ahead of Duke Florida State or Louisville. But they would be they would be somewhere in, comp- in competition for a bid, and they would have a really strong record. I, I watched Stanford play Washington State last night. And I am not an eye test person in terms of going into the tournament, but I'm an eye test person in terms of who can play. And I'm telling you that if Stanford were in this league, Stanford would be finishing behind Purdue and certainly behind Minnesota. Uh, they, they're just not, they, they just don't have the quality that, that the teams in this league have. That was a great answer. I feel like we definitely got our money's worth on that one. <laughs> Good. He joins us every Monday. Mike DeCourcy, we appreciate it. Man, this is going to be a fun final few weeks, and then the oh, blender yes. of a Big Ten tournament. I cannot wait. It's going to be great. Are we going to have you up here for that? No, I won't be able to be up there. I'll be I'll be watching it from here. But I'm hoping for the first time ever that we can actually do like three post game shows because usually it's been a very short stay for Indiana. Gotcha. So gotcha. We, well, good luck with that, and I'll talk to you next Monday. And uh, and unfortunately, I, I would love to have bought you a beer or. A, or a- Bacon and eggs or whatever, depending on which end of the day we could have figured out. But uh, One of these days we're doing that. We will definitely do that one of these days. Okay. Thanks, Jared. Cool. Thanks, Mike. All right. The great Mike DeCourcy. Always appreciate his his insight. Good question, Chad. Alan, sorry. I saw that question. Maybe we'll try and ask him that next time. Um, All right. Well, good stuff from Mike. Uh, We won't have another show for you, obviously, until Thursday. Should have an episode of Podcast on the Brink between now and then. Uh, the guys at Crimson Cast have a new episode out, so you can definitely go listen to that. I'm about halfway through it. Um, good discussion from those guys, uh, as always. So, um, yeah, you know, the other thing I'll mention, if you're still listening, uh, you know, make sure if you want to join our community, if you go to assemblycall.com slash community, we always have some great conversations in there. Um, and so if you're curious about that, uh, go check it out. It's $3.99 a month, or you can do basically 25 bucks for the full year. Uh, I'm really really excited about the kind of the small but growing group of people that we have in there. Uh, Coach does his weekly Coach's Corner videos, basically does a film breakdown of, you know, some important discussion point with the team. So those are in there. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a really good community. So go check it out. Assemblycall.com slash community. If you have any questions about it, just email me, Jared, J-E-R-O-D at assemblycall.com. All right, everybody. I got to go. But we'll talk to you Thursday night, IU-Purdue. Hopefully, uh, Archie can get that monkey off his back and Indiana can essentially punch their ticket to the tournament. I think that would all but guarantee it if they can go up there and get a win because uh, we owe them some payback. They they punked us in Bloomington. Time for us to go up and do the same to them. All right, talk to you Thursday. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. 
So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.